0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Hulu. Don't miss the new docu-series, Black Twitter, A People's History. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, A People's History, premieres May 9th, streaming on Hulu.
1: Hey y'all,
2: this is Sam's Aunt Daddy. On today's show, it's a housing boom, but for whom? All right, let's start the show.
3: Hey, y'all, you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders, and this week we are talking housing. It seems everywhere you look and listen and read, there are stories about just how hot, just how booming our current housing market is.
2: It is a seller's it's market. Big changes
3: like bubble. low mortgage rates and remote working,
0: creating
4: a thriving housing market. people
2: are
0: market. willing to in pay, pay more than, than the asking market? price. Is this a housing bubble? And if so, when will it burst?
3: But for people who want to buy a home and are getting priced out, or for renters, it's a whole different story. Turns out millions of Americans are close to eviction or foreclosure right now. By some measures, about one in four renters have missed at least one rent payment since last March. In December, Congress passed a stimulus package that includes $45 billion in rental assistance. But just this week, a judge overturned a federal eviction moratorium that was supposed to be in place until June 30th. So the headlines don't tell the whole story. The housing market is not just one big boom right now. It's actually a sort of best of times, worst of times situation. To clear up some housing misconceptions, we called up Jerusalem Dimsis, She's a policy reporter at Vox.
1: It's, I feel like it's one of those things where I tell people I cover housing, they're like, OK, bye. <laughs> and then I'm like, no, but it's actually very interesting.
3: I wanted Jerusalem to unpack three big myths about our current housing market. One, that we're all in a housing boom. As stated, that is not quite the case. Two, that this housing boom is just like the last one in the late 2000s. It's not at all. And three, that pervasive myth of the wealthy Silicon Valley tech bro moving to, say, Kansas. Not quite. First myth, we are in a housing boom. Not exactly, not for everyone. Explain.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing here is how you define a housing boom. It's definitely the case that the market is incredibly hot, hotter than it's ever been. But what that means is that prices are really high. They've been skyrocketing um, over the last year. And that means that if you are a homeowner... That's really great for you. Uh, between September 2019 and September 2020, homeowners got one trillion dollars in additional home equity. No, That's they did it. Are you serious? Homes. Yes, oh I'm serious. God. Yeah. So if you're a homeowner, it's, it's been it's been, a, it's been a it's been a good year for you, um, mostly. Uh, and then there are you know everyone else. There are people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the majority of Americans are homeowners. It's around 64 uh, percent of our homeowners. So it's a lot of people. But then. You look at people who are trying to be homeowners. For those people, it's been a really hard year. Because of that, that means that you're seeing pretty wild anecdotes come about. Things like people lining up the night before to see an open house. uh, People putting in offers, uh, you know, $50,000, $100,000 above asking price. Um, You're seeing people waive inspections. And so there are all these things that are happening that make it really hard for buyers. And then there are a lot of Americans who are renters, obviously, and for them, uh, it's been a different story.
3: So this is what's interesting. You've reported on this. It's actually gotten worse for renters in the midst of this housing boom for some low-income renters their rents have gone up over the last year
1: Yeah. So if you look at urban cores in general, right, uh, you're looking at places like San Francisco and New York City at the high end, all these higher income units, these luxury units are decreasing in rent. And that's happening because those people, there's a lot of them who are deciding like, you know, they want to buy a house or they were like, there's no point in me living in the middle of a city when I can't enjoy any of the urban amenities during a pandemic. So they moved um, to the suburbs or they went to go stay with their parents or other different things. So that decreased the demand pressure on the higher end units. But the lower end, it's a different story, Right, because the people who actually experienced the greatest financial difficulties due to the pandemic were people who are predominantly renters and predominantly low-income renters. That means that at the lower end, all these people are feeling financial pressure. And what happens when you feel that kind of pressure? You try to downsize, um, which means you move to a lower-income unit or a lower-rent unit, um, and you try to maybe double up with other people. That means there's more demand happening in the lower end of the market, and that mm-hmm. in turn means that those people are actually seeing their rent stay the same. Which was already untenable for them, or even increase in specific instances. All
3: right. Myth number two, this housing boom is just like 2008. Yeah. It's not. Explain.
1: Sure. I think that the biggest thing to understand about 2008 and what happened in the housing market is that you had a lot of uh, people who were suddenly unable to make their mortgage payments, they were defaulting, and that created uh, a crisis. What we have now is something very different. After 2008, there were a lot more stringent requirements put on who could actually qualify for a mortgage. Um, So like the median FICO score for purchasing a home is actually 45 points higher now, and even like a much, really? yeah, even much bigger than that. Like the lower bound of credit worthiness to even qualify for a mortgage. So these are like the bottom ten percent of people who can qualify for a mortgage. Is that like six hundred and fifty-seven points? that's before the recession it was like six hundred. That's a pretty good credit score. That means that people, that yeah. So people who are um, getting homes right now, these are not people who are going to default on their debt. That also means you're cutting out a lot of people from ever being able to access home ownership. Mm. And the way that we define creditworthiness is not always um, fair. It, it doesn't include a lot lot of things that could indicate that you are a responsible borrower, you're a responsible renter, Mm. and that disproportionately impacts lower income and black and brown Americans. And so, you know, while we're not going to see this kind of massive default, which is a good thing, it's not a good thing that the way that we got there was by cutting out large swaths of the population.
3: I've been thinking about buying a home for years. Mm -hmm. And what's really frustrating is that like, I've probably saved more money than I ever have during this pandemic year of not going out and doing anything. Yeah. But now it's seems almost dumber than ever to try to buy a house when everything's like 20% over what it should be. Yeah. It's annoying.
1: Yeah. It it really depends where you are. There there are conflicting arguments about whether it actually makes sense at this point to be buying a home because yeah. people are being forced to compromise on yeah. a lot of things they probably wouldn't have compromised on before like certain features, amenities, or locations that they definitely wanted because they're just so desperate to buy a house. At the same time, uh just to be clear, like the mortgage rates here are just absolutely incredible that we're seeing. And like this is the kind of like money saving that will will allow you to build even more wealth long term if you are able to get a house that you're happy with. Mm. But, you know, if you buy a house, you're locked in there for a little bit in order to not lose money on all the all the transaction costs that come along with it. Yeah. All
3: right. This next myth about the current housing market, it's become a pet Mm -hmm. peeve of mine because I feel like it's just this made up story that we've all glommed on (laughs) to because like headlines told us to. Um, this idea, the story of the big city tech bro moving to Kansas Mm -hmm. as kind of a myth. Yeah. Break that down for us.
1: Totally. So uh, everyone transport yourselves back to, I guess, May of last year and everyone's saying like there's an urban exodus, like yeah. New York City is empty. Yeah. Um, and there certainly is an uptick that we've seen in vacation and second home buying, but it's just such a small sliver of what's actually going on. Um, there's recent postal service data that basically looks at change of address cards and seeing where people actually um, moved. And 84 percent of people Actually stayed within the same metro area. Wait, it, really? Yes, oh eighty-four percent, and then an additional seven point five percent were in the same state. That means over ninety percent of people stayed within the same state that they were already living in after they moved. Really? Yeah, and only like point, you know, two eight percent I think left the metro area that they were already in. So there
3: were more folks. Probably going from like their studio apartment downtown to maybe like Mm -hmm. a house in the Burbs.
1: Sure. Yeah, there definitely was a lot of that going on. I think the way that people should think about this is that it wasn't that people all of a sudden changed their minds in the pandemic. It just accelerated decisions they were already going to make. So like if you knew in the next couple of years that you were going to move to this neighborhood downtown uh, that you liked better, or you knew you were going to move to this other suburb because you were trying to have kids soon, you liked that school in that area, um, you know, it accelerated that timeline because you saw the interest rates, you saw you had the time and, and, and the ability to kind of move during the pandemic. But it wasn't like all of a sudden everyone's preferences suddenly changed. Huh. All
3: right. We have talked about the myths and the problems here. But I also want to talk about any fixes in store for this weird lopsided housing market. What has the government done so far in offering relief for those having housing problems during the pandemic? And how effective has that been?
1: Yeah. Um, so the the biggest uh, thing that the government has done, um, and that was remarkably effective, was the eviction moratorium that they put into effect um, last year. And you know that's not only kept so many people in their homes; it's also, as we've seen, kept a lot of people alive. So I mean, tens of thousands of lives, in certain studies, have been uh, saved uh, due to these eviction moratoriums.
3: But here's the thing: just this week, didn't a judge strike down a federal eviction ban? Yes,
1: the federal ban has now been struck down a couple of times by different um, federal judges. Right now, the, there has been that the U.S. government is appealing the decision. And um, so there's been a stay. But uh, as for right now, the ban is still in effect.
3: Yeah. You know, when I think of this housing market, there are certain problems that have been exacerbated by mm-hmm. the pandemic or new problems that have come up because of the pandemic. But even before coronavirus, our housing market nationally was crazy. Mm -hmm. And these issues of availability and affordability have been simmering for a long time. And when it comes to affordability of housing in urban areas, a lot of it comes down to very boring, mundane local decisions Mm -hmm. around zoning. And where you can build what and how big or small it can be. Do you see any energy around really having, I don't know, a national conversation about zoning laws and the rules we have about who gets to build what where? Because that affects the price of housing.
1: It does. I mean, thank you for bringing that up because I feel like sometimes people talk about the last year as if this is just an aberration of the market. Like so many things, COVID-19 just really revealed how broken a lot of our systems already were. And with housing, I think that's like a quintessential example of that. For like a decade now, we've actually built fewer homes than we have at any other point in American history since at least the 1960s hmm. when we started tracking all of those numbers. So it's a really big problem. And these zoning laws are are a big part of that. So zoning rules, as you said, kind of restrict the ability for people to build homes. Some of these laws will say things like, oh, only one house can exist on a single acre. And what we know is that, you know, if you're able to service, you know, 10 or 12 people on that property, that means you have 10, 12 more families able to find housing. And there is some momentum that you're talking about here. We've seen a lot of momentum at the state and local level in certain areas. In North Carolina, there's a bill advancing um, through the legislature. There are tons of bills advancing in California. And at the national level, Biden on the campaign trail did make a promise to quote-unquote eliminate exclusionary zoning. So that's, that's those are the kinds of um, uh, reforms that we're probably going to need to see on a much more widespread scale if we're actually going to get um, the kind of housing abundance that we need to provide housing for everyone
3: thanks again to jerusalem dimsis she is a policy reporter for vox all right coming up comedian ziway fumido she is not afraid of having awkward conversations about race and now she is taking her chats from instagram live to late night tv you're listening to it's been a minute from npr
0: Black Twitter, a people's history, premieres May 9th, streaming on Hulu.
2: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Homes.com. Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching, so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com. We've done
1: your homework. Today, it seems like everybody's got a bone to pick with the news. So what happens when somebody stops talking smack and just
2: decides to wage all-out war?
3: First thing you do in in an evasion, you eliminate the communications of the enemy.
1: And what happens if they win? Visit Stockton, California, for a story about a revolt against the mainstream media that's shaken up a city. From NPR's Invisibilia.
3: Last summer, in the midst of America's racial reckoning, an internet comedian named Ziwe Fumado made a name for herself, asking celebrities the most awkward questions about race.
1: Um, how many black
4: friends do you have, Alison Roman?
1: Um, do you define friend like someone who would pick me up from the airport or like, people I follow or people that I know. Because I have, like, I would say four to five black friends that would pick me up at the airport.
4: Four to five? You are the third person to say they have four to five...
3: Z-Way would get friends. famous people on her Instagram Live, like celebrity chef Allison Roman, or actor-slash-activist Rose McGowan, or playwright Jeremy O'Harris. And with these celebrities, she would turn these almost absurd race questions into these meta-commentaries on race in America right now. Z-Way's Instagram lives were such a hit that she's taking them to TV.
4: Would you consider yourself a good ally? I try. How do you try? I, um... You have a book called Pretty Powerful. Why do you think ugly people can't be powerful?
3: This weekend, Z-Way's new variety show launches on Showtime. It is called Z-Way. In honor of this show's launch, we are going to revisit right now my conversation with Z-Way from last July. We talk about the art of the interview and Z-Way's comfort with making people uncomfortable. Enjoy. I want to talk about your fascination with discomfort. You've talked about this before. And what I really like that you said, you said that like, you want white people in this moment, good-hearted white people who think they're trying to do the right thing, you want them to feel as uncomfortable talking about race as black people feel living race every day.
4: Totally. I mean, every single day of my life, I've experienced racism since I was I was pulled out of my mother's womb, um, and mm. it's just it's 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 the worst. I hate it. I wish I didn't have to deal <laughs> me with too, race. Girl, right? Me it's, too. it's terrible. I wish I didn't have to deal with racism. But it's like if I'm going to be uh, marginalized every day of my life, then hell, then I I'll be damned if you don't feel the same way. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
4: So that's just me kind of reversing. It's me taking my authority and my autonomy and kind of reversing that on a society that. That's really oppressed me.
2: Yeah.
3: When did you start doing this uh, ask white people hard questions about race to their face thing? Did it start in high school, in college? Was there a moment where you're like, I'ma do this?
4: So so professionally it started in twenty sixteen, but I've this is my personality trait. For better or worse, it makes me a horrible <laughs> dinner party guest, but a very funny entertainer. And so I maybe started doing this in high school where I would just I was I went to prep school and I grew up in like a predominantly um, Latino neighborhood in Lawrence, Massachusetts. Um, and then I went to Andover, which is the opposite of that. It's very, very white, very rich, very affluent. And so I kind of just embraced that experience of being, feeling like an other all of a sudden, you know, at 14 years old. And I kind of went headfirst into it and said, Hey, you know what? I'm going to make people's lives hell. Um, and so I kind of raised hell as a high schooler and would just ask uncomfortable questions because it made, it entertained me. Um, and it gave me, um, joy when, Otherwise, I might feel sort of excluded.
3: I want to walk through some of the more awkward moments of the Instagram Live series, but I want to talk about what the transition from a YouTube series to an Instagram Live show, what it meant for the flow of the conversation. I'm assuming a YouTube series, you kind of get to edit everything in post and make it have a flow and an arc. With Instagram Live, it's just there.
4: How does that change
3: these questions and these conversations?
4: Well, I think if someone said something egregiously racist during the YouTube production, I would just cut it out because it's like, I don't think anybody <laughs> is helped from being traumatized this way. Whereas with um, the Instagram Lives, it's I have to really be an active listener because it's like, we, I think you see it most with the Alison Roman interview, where I ask her, what do you qualitatively like about black people? And she kind of stuttered. She's like,
1: um, Qualitatively, uh, that... I mean, I, I can say what I like qualitatively about my black friends, or you mean generally speaking?
4: How everybody about... interpret the question.
1: Um, qualitatively, I love that they, um, their food almost always tastes better than mine.
4: Okay, we're They're gonna stop you right there. Way here. better we're dancers. Stop you
1: right there. We're gonna
4: okay. stop you, I'm doing you a favor. <laughs> Okay. And so I don't really give her anything because I want to mm-hmm. see what is the natural, what's her natural inclination for that question. Because my point isn't necessarily to get my guests canceled. My point is to show the ways in which in conversation we bring up unconscious biases and we bring up racist backgrounds that we have just v- by virtue of living in the United States. And so I get the most, I'm the most happy when I have audience members message me in my DM saying, Hey, like I watched your show and I saw the way that the guests answered questions. And now I'm mm. thinking, about the way I would answer those questions and i realized like, hey, I'm not perfect and I have a lot to learn because I, Z-way fumido I'm not, I'm not perfect. I am not the gatekeeper of racism in America. I'm just trying to learn and I'm trying to teach others and I think that we can grow and heal as a nation if we work together to unlearn racism.
3: Yes. <laughs> yes. Do you think there was something about your upbringing, where you grew up, where you came up, where you went to school, how you were raised? That turned you into the kind of person who is all about asking these kind of questions because like, I don't know, I'm just as black as you are. And I don't think I have the boldness to do what you're doing. Although I love what you're doing.
4: Oh, thank you. Do
3: you think a lot about like, what in your background led you to here?
4: Um, I think. Yeah, I mean, yes. I was raised by Nigerian immigrants who are so brutally honest; it hurts. So really, like what you're seeing in me is just like all these different cultures converging into one very sharp and rude and opinionated individual. Uh, for the benefit <laughs> yes. of my audience.
3: I love it. You are everyone's hilarious Nigerian auntie. Yes, for and better I love or that. for
4: worse. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Um, what has been the moment in these interviews that has surprised you the most, or are you ever surprised
4: the moment that i'm oh i'm the show is set up for me to be surprised. I do not know what my <laughs> guests are ever going to say, and I'm constantly shocked. I was really surprised to see the trend of four to five black friends. That was surprising. That is a weird thing to me. Yeah, because, well, you know, why it was surprising is because the first time you I experienced it, I didn't think anything of it. And then you get to the second and third time, and you're like, you start to realize, oh, this is actually a social trend, and it reflects like a, a greater discomfort to say, hey, I don't have any black friends, or I have more than five black friends. This is like a number I'm going to throw out to feel comfortable comfortable I um, and to look really politically correct so that really i find so compelling but truly everything about the interview um surprises me yeah the fact that my guests say yes surprises me but it may, it delights me
2: yeah
3: okay so i gotta ask even though i'm never gonna be on your instagram show because i'm too scared what would be your gotcha question for me
4: I what would be the gotcha? I think I would ask you about you. So I listened to your Jeremy O'Harris interview before I interviewed Jeremy O'Harris. Okay, thank you. Yeah, of course, it was really, really riveting. And but my biggest question would be, why didn't Black women come up more in that interview?
3: Ooh. Yeah. And I think the answer would be, I need to do some self reflection on the ways (laughs) that I speak to and talk about issues pertinent to Black women in my work.
4: Wow, look at us growing and healing look in at us real time. Li-
3: listen, listen, growing. <laughs> da-ling, growing.
4: Darling, honey, look <laughs> at me like a, little, like a little sprout in the sun, honey.
3: <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, my God, I love it. That was comedian Z-Way Fumido. We spoke last July. You can catch her new show called Z-Way, May 9th on Showtime. Up next, I bring on Ari Shapiro and Audie Cornish, hosts of All Things Considered. Their show is 50 this week, as is NPR itself. We'll discuss that and also play a little game of who said that. Stay with us.
1: Summer is for going to the movie theater because it's too hot to stay home. It's for driving with the windows down, listening to your favorite music. It's for stretching out while you're on vacation to gobble up a TV show. For a guide to some of the TV, movies, and music we are most excited about this summer, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. Hey, I hear you have a birthday coming up. Yeah,
4: you. If you're listening to this, that means you have a birthday coming up eventually.
1: And here at Life Kit... We want it to be a special one.
4: Magic can happen and good luck
1: can happen and serendipity can happen if we're open to it. How to have a good birthday, even if you're not a birthday person. That's on the Life Kit podcast from NPR.
2: Listen to Embedded for moments that stay with you. I could smell the smoke, I could smell the dust. Voices that resonate. <laughs> Stories that change the way you think about your life. How how did we get here? The Embedded Podcast is NPR's home for original documentary series. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Ah, the satisfying sounds of more sales in your business. And from the sound of it, your business is growing. But you shouldn't have to pay more to scale your business. With Stamps.com, you can import orders from wherever you sell online, find the lowest rates with the fastest delivery times, and instantly deliver tracking updates to your customers and stock up on supplies. Get started at Stamps.com today with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. On NPR's Throughline, We cannot function for 24 hours without COBOL because it's in our smartphone, our tablet, our laptop. And as a consequence, the lives of the people living in that part of the Congo descended into just a catastrophe.
3: Find NPR's throughline wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders, and for this week's game of Who Said That? I am joined by two people, two friends, two colleagues who were celebrating this week, two birthdays. Ari Shapiro,
0: Audie Woo-hoo. Cornish, hello, how are you? So good hey. to be here.
3: Tell us the birthdays.
2: Oh, you mean Uh, our show's birthday? (laughs) We look
0: amazing for the age of 50. Our show, All Things Considered, celebrated its 50th anniversary this week, and so did NPR. Yeah, this is a pretty big deal. Um, How are y'all celebrating?
2: Um, Well, they sent us sweatpants that say (laughs) All Things Considered and champagne. Though, for the record, it was kava. Um,
0: (laughs) Audie is the kind of woman who will tell you That champagne only comes from the champagne region of France No,
2: I'm just saying it was Kava And don't at me Anyone who hears this Okay, It's like I have worked To know the difference Yeah,
3: I was thinking in advance of this conversation I have been listening to All Things Considered For a very long time I love the show But I've never figured out if that theme song Has lyrics, does it?
0: No, the Morning Edition theme song did, the All Things Considered theme song, to my knowledge. Maybe they exist and I've never heard of them, but you know the Morning Edition lyrics, right? I I realize we're here to talk about our show, All Things Considered, (laughs) but... Tell us. It's something like, I hate to get up in the morning, please don't wake me up this morning. I just want to stay in bed, or something like that. I swear to God, this is real. Yeah. Yeah. That was nice.
2: (laughs) that was great today I learned
0: alright wow. then on that
3: note as a last <laughs> challenge before we play Who Said That I am welcoming either of you to riff up some ATC theme song lyrics right now on the fly
0: take it away Audie
2: I can't remember how does our song go
0: yeah give it
2: some lyrics This hasn't changed since 1980. Somebody send us a new theme.
0: (laughs) So when I was leaving my job as London correspondent, my producer, Rich Preston, said ATC needed a new theme song because he said the current theme song sounded like I'm a middle-aged parent picking up my children before I get some groceries.
2: <laughs> Not wrong. I see no lies there.
0: No. No. Lies. We like
2: the theme song, and we, you know, it doesn't have lyrics, but that's okay because we we welcome our listeners to fill in the blanks. It's a two-way oh, wow. conversation. Wow. Two-way nice conversation. Save nice save.
3: Nice save.
2: <laughs> You're welcome. On that note, let's play Who Said That? Ooh,
3: I'm not going to say Ari Shapiro has the advantage here, but he has, I believe at this point, both played Who Said That and hosted it. And been the quiz master.
0: In anticipation of this, I've studied the last several years of who said that and uh, <laughs> examined the topics that occur most frequently and the voices that recur. So I feel very prepared. I've got a spreadsheet in front of me. Wow. Okay. None of that, that, that is note. true, by the way. None of that
3: is true. It sounded very... It sounded. It
2: very, did. It sounded so convincing. Part of our
0: job yes. is to sound convincing. It's literally know, in the job that's description. True. That's true. <laughs> All right. Here is the first quote. As you know,
3: there are no buzzers, no timers. I'm bad at keeping score. Just yell the answer out. Tell me, Arianati, who said this? Here it is. Naveen,
0: why did you unmatch me? It's me. Is that from like the circle, the Netflix show? <laughs> ben, no, no, it is no
2: yo, 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 Ben Affleck.
0: Yes. Ben Talking Affleck. about
2: a lady who yes. matched with him on Raya? Raya. What is it? Raya. Raya. Well, I don't know what what it is because I'm not famous. It's like Tinder for influencers. It's famous people Tinder. Oh, And this woman, I guess, like posts... Well, I actually don't know the story. I just saw Ben Affleck's face saying this. Do you know the story?
3: Here's the full story. That quote, Naveen, why did you unmatch me? It's me. It comes from Ben Affleck. And that video from Ben Affleck ended up in a TikTok from user Naveen J., She posted that video of Ben Affleck saying that to her with the caption, thinking about the time I matched with Ben Affleck on Raya and thought it was fake, so I unmatched, and he sent me a video on Instagram.
0: Naveen, why did you unmatch me? It's me.
3: And it's just, I don't know, it's just a whole bunch of, like, divorced dad
2: vibes from Ben Affleck. Yeah, that's embarrassing. Listen, I actually felt bad for him because... That's the whole point of having this like dumb fancy people Tinder, right? So that you like don't have (laughs) embarrassing interactions with people who just like Cloud Chase. Sorry, not sorry.
0: You think there are no Mm? catfishers on Raya or Raya or whatever it's called?
2: I just think that like it must be hard to date when you're famous. Poor (laughs) Ben Affleck.
0: (laughs) Ben Affleck, no slack. I'm
2: not going to Ben Affleck. Listen, listen, trust me. I'm from Boston. I never thought I would be saying this, but. I just think dating is hard. And dating I can't imagine hard. doing it in a scenario where people like want to turn you into a joke.
0: Yeah. You've, Audie, I didn't think this was possible, but you've made me feel sorry for Ben Affleck. <laughs> <laughs> I will say. I don't know
3: why I care so much about Ben Affleck's personal life. I'm not sure I like any of his movies that much. But the other week, when he was rumored to have like had a secret meeting with J Lo, what the Sam of like the early 2000s was like giddy and First googling of all, how everything about
2: it. Was it if it was in the tabs <laughs> and she was sitting in the window in a car that did not have tinted windows? Help me out. Yeah. Come on. Oh, Sam. you know
0: all the details know of this story. This.
2: No, I'm <laughs> just saying we yeah. we know how celebs work the tabs. Yeah. And I just think like those two, who happen to see each other in front uh-huh. of a camera.
0: And, uh, I just bring in the know skeptical I- journalist's I- eye. Think Audie about Cornish. it.
2: So let's say you just got put on blast by Naveen. How are you gonna bounce back? J-Lo.
0: J-Lo. take that Naveen. <laughs> who,
2: also, who also needs a bounce back? Mm-hmm. Somebody who just, you, you know. J-Lo
0: does not need a bounce back. J Lo is doing just had fine. had
2: yet another engagement fallout.
0: Yes. Wow, you are really up to speed on your celeb gossip. I am
2: just saying, let us all put on our thinking caps <laughs> and think politically. <laughs> How does that story look?
0: Mm-hmm. There you go. On there the next go. season I'm... of Embedded. <laughs> 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 oh, my God.
3: All right.
1: Oh, my God. How <laughs> you get
3: that first point? Here is the next quote. Tell me who said it. Can you show the light? Would I ever go into this lighting for no reason? No. Who said that? A
0: famous diva who got her second dose this week. I mean, I can name a bunch of famous divas, but I have no idea who that one is. Just start naming famous divas.
2: Well, the thing is, when you talk lighting, it makes me think Mariah.
0: Like, who Yes! About their yes. L- Wait, oh did gosh. you just... Do- is it Mariah? I guess that! <laughs> wow! Audi I just guess. Listen, wow. Mariah knows her Listen. angles. It yes. says something about us that you were thinking Mariah, and I was thinking Barbara. <laughs> <Both> <laughs> I great was going peoples. like, Bet, Barbara, Liza, like, that's where my head was at. <laughs> Those are my divas, let's be honest.
3: So this quote from Mariah Carey uh, comes from a video she posted to her Instagram feed on Tuesday showing her getting the second dose of her coronavirus vaccine. Part two, And she did this video and showed the nasty fluorescent light overhead in the video to address the conspiracy theory that she had faked getting her first dose. So to set people straight, she has this video of her second dose, shows the light, and says,
2: Would I ever go into this lighting for no reason? No.
3: You best believe I would not be under a fluorescent light unless it was necessary
0: and real. I
2: mean, again, facts. No lies detected on that.
0: Has anyone considered as a possible way to reduce vaccine hesitancy just getting better lighting? I mean, maybe more people (laughs) would be eager to get vaccinated if they knew it would, like be a better selfie than what they're currently faced with.
2: First of all, you I, should know using your news voice to make statements like that. <laughs> not
3: cool.
0: Your news voice?
2: That was
3: your news voice. I heard that was it. my news voice. All right. Third and final quote.
0: Aw. All right. We can stay and, and do five quotes this yeah, week. L- let's do Will she be three <laughs> for three? Audie trying to take it all the way?
3: Okay. <laughs> okay here uh, th- y- Y'all are going to get this one very quickly. Here's the quote. So many documentaries about me this year, with other people's takes on my life. What can I say? I'm deeply
0: flattered. You who can have that? this one, Ari. I mean, Ooh. listen. I, options that I'm considering include Dolly Parton, The Tiger King. Um, what you know are who you? this is? What?
2: Yeah, it's Britney Spears. <laughs> okay. Oh Fair. my God. He, you, right. just, you said you're going to have it. There what? she goes. Adi the blue. Adi is
3: vicious. Adi with not the
2: celebrity. Have, finally facts. got to speak on her conservatorship, Right.
0: Sorry, I've been busy hosting a two-hour Ooh. daily program. where We were covering Ooh. such important oh, topics. To this. I know. Intellectual I think it's so cute when the junior hosts talk. <laughs>
2: It's like they really no, bring no. such energy to it. Um, oh my yeah, God. Britney said, "Y'all out here worrying about my well-being, but you know what? You don't know the story, and I love you. Don't it. Know I love me. that energy. Yeah. You don't yeah. know me.
3: So you know, Britney Spears for years has been in this conservatorship in which her yeah. father basically controls her career and her money. And there were some documentaries this year that talked about that and talked about the ways in which." The culture overall treated Britney Spears at the peak of her stardom not too nicely uh, in a way that was, in hindsight, pretty sexist. Mm -hmm. But she spoke out about those documentaries this week, of course, set to a video of her dancing in her house, saying, y'all don't know me. And this has become one of those stories where I feel like we've reached that level of meta commentary on commentary. Exactly. In which everything you say about it is Right and wrong at the same time.
2: Well, the whole the whole quote unquote reframing of her story, post me too, and post in this like different uh, feminist conversation also did not acknowledge that in a way this was yet another round of exploitation. Mm-hmm. That this really goosed um the kind of like popularity of the documentary series of which it was a part of, and it drew eyeballs again, like and clickbait and the conversation. And I think it's perfectly fair for her to say, I opt out of that.
0: You know who yeah. I think can really sympathize with that is Ben Affleck.
2: Mm. Oh <laughs> my goodness. I
0: Listen.
3: love a good callback.
2: I love a good callback.
0: <laughs> uh, can we
3: get a drum roll, please, as I announce oh. the winner? The winner is. All of our listeners, because this just was so Aww. fun for them to
2: listen Aww, to. Oh, that's so no, but actually, especially Audie, since won. it was me. Yeah, it was <laughs> for sure
0: me. Let's give the woman some credit, the senior host of All Things Considered, Ms. Audie Cornish.
2: I know See, about all the things. You
0: really Particularly do. Particularly the celebrity gossip the tabloid things. things Don't especially try, Especially you
2: know, those things. The way I explain it is that we give all things equal weight,
1: When it comes
2: to cultural significance and discussion, all things should be approached in a smart and thoughtful way on our anniversary. That's
0: what it is. I want to be on the record as fully co-signing that. On that note, happy birthday
3: to NPR. Happy birthday to All Things Considered. And Adi and Ari, I look forward to the recurring pop culture and gossip segment on All Things Considered because that has to happen. Wait
0: for it because it's coming.
2: Now it's time to end the show as we always do. Every week, listeners share the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag and they do. Let's hear a few of those submissions.
1: Hi, Sam. Happy Friday. I'm so excited to share with you the best part of my week, finishing the spring semester of classes with straight A's.
2: Hi, Sam. After three years a pregnancy, a birth, a global pandemic, and maintaining a full-time job, this Saturday I am officially walking across the stage to graduate with my master's in school counseling. And I am so happy and proud of myself.
4: Hey Sam, the best thing that happened to me this week was that my partner and I moved in together. She somehow turns moving furniture out of a third floor apartment into an absolute blast. And I'm so excited that now I get to wake up next to her every morning.
1: Hi, Sam. The good thing that happened to me this week is I completed my first ever marathon. Just passed by a dead possum. I'm alone on the highway. Your show helped me through most all my training runs. so I wanted to thank you.
0: Hi, Sam. The best part of my week was finding my cat, Millie. She ran out of my parents' house two weeks ago. I must have put up about 200 flyers, and I'm just so happy to have her back. And I look at her, and I'm just, I can't believe that she's safe and here with me again.
2: Hi, Sam. The best part of my week has been my father visiting our family for the first time in a year, and the joy in everyone's face, namely my seven-year-old son, to be reunited with his grandpa, and in myself, too.
4: Hi, Sam. This is Jamie from Chicago. And the best part of my week was Adoption Court, where we adopted our son, Ruben. Hello. Hey, Ruben. Oh, well. It was long awaited. We've had him for almost four years as a foster child. And now he is our son. Thanks for your show.
2: Thank you for the work that you do. We love the show. Really love your show. Thank you for making it.
3: Thanks to all those listeners you heard there. Marin, Emily, Sean, Megan, Jasmine, Corinne, and Jamie. Listeners, don't forget you can be a part of this segment and send us your best thing at any point throughout any week. Just record yourself and send that voice memo to us via email. samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. All right, this week the show was produced by Andrea Gutierrez, Sylvie Douglas, Christina Kala, and Liam McBain. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hochman. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson. And our big boss is NPR's senior VP of programming, Anya Grunman. All right, listeners, till next time, be good to yourselves. Find something to smile about. I'm Sam Sanders. We'll talk soon.
0: It's important to me that I come out on top.
3: Everyone always does this. Everyone always (laughs) is like, oh, I'm ready for battle. And I'm like, y'all do know this is like... A made-up quiz game on a public radio show I'm auditioning
0: to... I consider this my audition to be the next host of Jeopardy! So I'm really... Ooh, okay, okay, manifest. I love it. Me and Katie Couric, neck and neck.
4: Jasmine Morris here from the StoryCorps podcast. Our latest season is called My Way. Stories of people who found a rhythm all their own and marched to it throughout their lives. Consequences and other people's opinions be damned. You won't believe the courage and audacity in these stories. Hear them on the StoryCorps podcast from NPR.
2: On Wildcard, the new podcast from NPR, you'll hear people like comedian Jenny Slate reflect on their lives. What is something you think about very differently today than you did 10 years ago?
1: Dressing. Like not salad dressing. I've always loved it and I'll never stop dressing my body. That's all part of the new game
2: show, Wildcard, only from NPR. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.
0: I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln?
3: Well, you know, it was 2020 and we were all so isolated. I I just started doing research. uh, But the truth is, no, I just thought of it.
0: We'll talk about that and more on Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR.